give it up for Miss Joy Moss. So, um, Finney, could you come pray for me, please? I love being on this stage. I really do. I actually, whoever asks me, do you want to come pray for me? I say yes all the time. And my sister always wants to come too. So God, we just pray for Miss Joy as she is um, reading the Bible and talking more stories. And we just pray for this um, awaken that that. She will just have good understanding of what you want her to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. You can go down. Thank you. Amen. Amen. There's power in children's prayers. Psalms 8. I shared this this uh, weekend. Psalms 8, verse 2. It says, Out of the mouth of babes, God has ordained praise. Because of his enemies, it silences the voice of the enemy. You want your children to worship because out of their mouths when they worship, Satan has to shut his mouth. And when they worship, it's powerful. I've been working with kids since I was 12 years old, and I've seen God move so powerfully. And sometimes we, we forget about the little ones, but God never does. He never does. Um, I'm going to open them up with this scripture. It's out of Philippians 1, verse 6. It says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm going to skip over here to 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in the knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Jesus Christ, being filled with the fruit of righteousness, that you are by Jesus Christ to the glory of God, praising God. So I'm, I'm just going to share a little bit of my story because I've been talking all weekend and some of you don't know me real well. But I just, I, I want to share the power of who our Savior is. The power of the word of God, the power of worship, the power that he gives us as his sons and daughters. Our identity is found in him. And when our identity is found in him, we can't be moved. We're called to be trees planted by seeds of streams of living water. That the only thing that should move us is the power of his Holy Spirit. And this we need to instill in our children. Because as the things get darker and darker, and they will get darker and darker, God's light gets brighter and brighter. If I put a flashlight on right now in this room, you would probably see it. I don't have my phone or I'd put my flashlight on. You would probably see it. But if this room was pitch dark and I put a flashlight on, what would happen? It would light the entire, it would pierce the darkness. You're called to pierce the darkness. I'm going to say it again. You're called to pierce the darkness. You're called to be a light, salt, on, and in a world that has no seasoning, no salt. I'm, I can't, I don't have a, I have a toler, intolerance for salt, but I can sure taste salt when it's on my food. 
How many of you can taste salt? I can taste even a tiny bit of salt. I don't even cook with salt because my body just does funky things with salt. So I just put a little bit in there. My kids are like, I'm like, yeah, mom cooked. We're going to put more salt on this. I can taste salt. We should be, people should see us and taste us. Does that make sense? Not literally lick us, guys. But they should taste something different. Not us going, hello, I'm a Christian, look at me. They should see us and, and taste that we're different. They should see us and know there's something different without us saying a word. By the way we act and the way we respond. And that's by allowing Jesus Christ in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. A lot of times, God, when I teach children, God actually teaches me. That's the one thing I love about teaching kids. Because every curriculum I write, Kevin, is it okay? I move a lot. I'm trying to be really still. <laughs> every curriculum I write, God, God usually goes, yep. And so you're going to experience this first. The last one I did for this summer was inside, outside, upside down. Yeah, it was like, wow. And then I went through it. You know, and so I'm like, okay. So every time he gives me something, I'm like, and here we go. Heroes of the faith. Mm-hmm. Yep, got that one too, you know. And the power of love. Yep, that one was, that one was a rough one. Yeah. And so when I, he teaches me with kids, when I, he shows me things with kids, he's actually teaching me. And when I was praying this morning, the Lord reminded me of an exercise I do, and I do this with my children. It's teaching them to hear the voice of the Lord. Not my four. I have four children, by the way. I'll get in that in a minute. But um, this is what I teach children, how to hear the voice of the Lord. I make a maze, and then I blindfold them. And I get one child who doesn't know me very well. Then I get a little girl, a little boy that's really young, and then I get a child that knows me very well. And I've done this with Aubrey. Y'all have seen me do this. And I blindfold them. And then I stand at a distance and I tell all the kids around, and if you were here this weekend, you know kids can get really loud. I say, I want you to tell them the wrong direction to go. And I want you to scream really loud. And they're screaming and they can get really loud. If you work with kids, you know they can get really loud. And I'm saying, I want you to listen to my voice. And I'm going to direct you through this maze. You're blindfolded, but I'm going to direct you through this maze. And I want you to listen very carefully to Miss Joy. And some of them, I mean, they get really off, and they're trying not to listen to that, the voice of the other kids. They're trying to listen to Miss Joy, especially the ones that don't know me. They're walking. I go, okay, take a couple steps, walk two steps forward. They're, and I'm trying to be really loud so they can hear, hear me. And we get them through. Sometimes we have a little bit of a bump, but we get them through. And then I take a little one. And I remember this one time I was doing this with this little one, and she just stopped. She couldn't hear me. It was loud. And then God says, I want you to go and just grab her hand. So I went and grabbed her hand. I got really close to her ears, and I said, it's okay. Just follow me. She grabbed a hold of my hand. We went through the entire maze. We brought her through. And then I got a child that knew me really well, and they walked through that thing pretty fast because they knew my voice. And the Lord says, Joy, that's how I lead. That's how I lead. Somebody who doesn't know my voice, I'm very loud. I try, I, I'm, I'm very kind because the voices they've been accustomed to, they don't know my voice well. 
Just like if I came in here on Friday night when I came, some of these kids I've never met before, I've never seen. I said, hey, you want to go to McDonald's and get an ice cream cone? Hopefully they would say no, because they don't know me. I'm hoping they would say no. <laughs> they should say no, because they don't know who I am. But today, because I've spent time with them, they know who I am, they know my heart. Hey, you want to go get an ice cream? They'd probably go ask mommy and daddy. But they would go with me because they know me. Would you go get an ice cream with me? Okay, thank you. <laughs> because they know me. They trust me. Kids, if you ever notice kids, they, they are, you can watch them, and if they don't trust somebody, you can tell. You can tell because they're very real. I am not going to go with that person. You can see it on their faces. And so God says, sometimes, Joy, when you get stuck and the noise is so loud, I have to come all the way to you, grab your hand, and walk you through. But as you learn to hear my voice, even though the sounds are all around, are screaming and yelling and it's loud, you know my voice and you trust me. So when, I, when people say blind faith, I kind of go, well, yes and no. Because God doesn't take you from this small baby steps to now you got to go up against the giants. He took David, and he was teaching David in the fields, training him before he went up against Goliath. Because when he came up against Goliath, he goes, you know what? Saul was like, you can't do this. You're too little. He goes, you know what? It's okay, because I've gone against a bear taken that down. Gone against a lion. I don't know anybody wrestled with lions lately. I've taken that. God showed me how to stand against Goliath. He doesn't just take us, boom, boom, you, you got to do it now. He takes us little by little, step by step, precept upon precept, line upon line, so that we're trained to do what he's called us to do. So when I was in my mother's womb, and I was, my, I was the, I'm the second child. Um, my mom was very, very sick. And the doctors came to my mom and my dad, and they said, so just so you know, there's going to be a problem with this baby. She's either going to have some kind of physical or mental disability, and we want you to prepare yourself because we're just seeing some things that are not good. And... There's, there's going to be some problems. And we're going to go ahead and try to induce labor. That means make you go ahead and go into labor and so that we can go ahead and deliver the baby because your body's just not doing what it should be doing. And so um, they try to induce labor. Nothing happened. And the doctor's like, okay, well, we're not going to do this anymore. We want you to go home, rest, and then we'll try again in a couple of days. So right from the hospital... My mom and dad were in were Houston, Texas. I'm a Texan. I'm very proud to be a Texan. I, we go, my mom and dad go to a Bible study. And at that point, we were in what they call a Chinese-American um, church. So they spoke in Chinese and they spoke in English. So it was, it was bilingual. And my mom went to this woman's Bible study with all these grandmas who were little Chinese grandmas that had powerful faith. And so they come around her, and she tells me this story. She said they were just praying in Chinese. She goes, I had no idea what they were praying, and they were just praying, just petitioning the throne room of God for me in my mom's room. 
and asking God, God, you know, whatever, just heal this baby. And so the pastor, she goes, Amy, sit. She says, God says that in five days I'm going to do a miracle. And so my mom says, okay. And my mom was learning the things of God. She, didn't, she grew up believing in God, but she hadn't really experienced the power of the Lord. This, this was training for her. So she's like, okay. And so five days later, my mom went into labor on her own. And I was born. And now this, you know, um, OBGYNs, they deliver babies all the time. So they see tons of babies. My mom said, when I came out, the doctor's sitting there holding, holding me. And he's like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And my mom's like, what? And she, he goes, look at this baby. Like, he was taking the babies and showing them. I've never seen a baby. I was 9 pounds, 12 ounces. So I was a big baby. But he goes, the cheeks are so red. This is like the, I've never seen a baby so healthy. This little baby looks, I mean, he's showing this to the nurses. He's like, and my mom's like, well, is there anything wrong with her? He goes, I can't see anything wrong with her. And God was healing me and teaching my mom faith. Even through that experience, he was teaching my mom how to believe and trust God for healing. And he was shocked. And my mom goes, yes, thank you, Jesus. And he goes, yeah, I had something to do with it too, you know. I'm like, you have no idea, buddy. You have no idea. And I remember growing up, my mom, my dad ended up going to, to Bible school. I was five years old, all the way up to New York. So we're talking Texas to New York, a big difference, a huge difference. And I remember getting there and even at five, learning who God is. I accepted Jesus in my heart when I was five. And I remember this play being done, and dad, my dad was at a service. He had to be at the service. So I was going, I want to go with you. So I'm in the service with him. And this group from Africa were doing this skit on the stage, and they were talking about heaven, and they were talking about hell, and they were talking about coming, and God saying, these go to hell and these go to heaven. And I don't remember all the context. That's all I remember. And I'm like, Jesus, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to be away from you. I want to be with you. And I remember running to the altar and having that experience with the Lord. And we were, we were living in a basement that you could see dirt. I mean, it was, it was pretty rough. And my older brother um, had what they call scarlet fever. And he was very sick. They thought they were going to lose him. So they were in and out of the hospital. And me and I have a sister and a brother that are younger than I am. We were kind of dibbied around to different people while my brother Earl was in the hospital. And they weren't sure if he was going to make it. And it was a very expensive. We were trying to cover that cost. And my dad being in school, it was, it was a rough time. And I remember sitting in the basement. And my birthday's in December. Kind of passed by my birthday because we just, you know, it was just a rough time. Not that they meant to forget it, but it was forgotten. I remember that going, okay, you know, well, at least Earl's home and he's, he's alive. And, and I remember Christmas and mom and dad sat us down and said, hey, just so you know, we don't have any money. We're, prob- we're definitely not going to have presents. We're, we're eating beans and rice. <laughs> but we're thankful that Earl's alive, which we were. Thankful that Earl's alive, but we're just probably not going to have a normal Christmas. And, you know, for a five-year-old, that's like, oh, wow, okay, you know. 
And I remember praying, and I remember talking, God, I, I don't know. I just would like to have a full meal. I would just like to have a full meal. I'd like to have cookies, okay? I, I like cookies. I'd like to have cookies. <laughs> and I know that sounds so selfish, but it's, it was just this little girl's praying. So Christmas Eve comes, and we get a knock on our door. And this was something that stuck in my heart. And we opened the door, and the president of Elam Bible Institute, his name is Carlton Spencer, was at the door. And he walks in, and he brings groceries. We're talking like three or four bags of groceries. And then he goes back out to his car, and it's, it's snowing. It's really bad weather. He comes back in, and he brings us presents. And then he sits on the floor. This is the president of the, of the college, Elam Bible Institute. He sits on the floor, and we're opening up these presents, and it was a teddy bear. And to this day, Ted, I love teddy bears. My kids buy me teddy bears. There's something special. And he sits on the floor, and he starts to play with me. And he starts to play with my brother and my sister, my younger brother and sister. And when he left, I look back on that, and I think, he was a picture of God the Father. He was a picture of God the Father. That God, and you know what he brought me? He brought me cookies. He brought me cookies, oatmeal cookies. I love oatmeal cookies. He brought me cookies. It's not a normal Christmas stuff. You usually get pies, but I wanted cookies. He brought me cookies. That showed me the love of the Father. That showed me the love of the Father. And Jesus at that age, at age five, was teaching me who he was. He was teaching me how to trust him, how to ask for things, how to believe for things when it seems like there was nothing and no way it was going to happen. I remember another experience. I was seven. Um, again, believe it or not, I had a teacher um, in kindergarten who I just guess took a dislike to me. Um, it probably had something to do that my dad was a pastor and she was an ex-nun and she was in the community we were at and yeah, anyways, we're not going to go there. But she took a dislike to me. I remember her boxing my ears. I remember making a bad grade on my test and her making me stand up front and tell people how horrible my grade was. And, but I also remember two things. So the enemy, when I was trying to be born, attacked me on two things. On my mental and what I looked like. Two things. Two things. And he was trying to take me out on those two things. And still, here again, he was attacking me on that same thing again. You're not smart enough. You're really dumb. I mean, she actually told me that. You're dumb. You're really stupid. I was sick a lot, and I had fever blisters. All oh, I'd get them really bad, and I'd have them up my face. And she'd come up, "Ooh, gross! What is that all over your face?" I mean, it was just—it was bad. She ended up failing me, so I failed kindergarten. How do you fail kindergarten? So I'm repeating kindergarten. My sister is now in the same grade I am, who's younger than me. She's straight A's. <laughs> So there was, and why can't you be like your sister? She's so pretty. She's blonde. She's blue-eyed. Why can't you be like, there was this comparison. And it really was hard for me. It was really hard for me. Well, dad finished, and he moved, we moved back to Texas, and we went back to the same 
Chinese American church. And we were sitting there one Sunday, and I was eight years old. And the Lord called Amy Sitt, the pastor. She says, I think God has something for joy. And she took my mom and me into this room. And she started saying, God wants to baptize you with his Holy Spirit. And at that point, I was like, he wants to what? He wants to put, allow the Holy Spirit to be awakened in your heart because God has some things for you to do. And so she's praying for me, and the Lord just filled me up. I started speaking in tongues, and it was a switch that happened in my life. It was a switch. Holy Spirit now became my very best friend, very best friend. And as I was growing up, um, my older brother had some issues, and there were some times in our life that I was in a lot of fear. He was not a safe person to be around. Um, my mom and dad loved Jesus, but he just, he would get angry and do things. Um, we have kids in the room, and we're not going to go there, but it was, it was scary. And he, he would tell us, you know, if you tell mom and dad, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell them something else, and they're not going to believe you. And I believe that. And so I was very protective over my sister. Um, God helped a lot of times because a lot of times when something bad was about to happen, here comes my younger brother, and God really protected us. I remember one time Earl getting so mad, he got some grease and he threw it, and I got out the back door before it hit the back door and because um, I would have been burned pretty bad. And so there was this fear in me, but it, instead of driving me to to just run from God, it drove me to him. And I remember going in the, in the woods, and I there was these rocks, and I built these rocks. I called it my altar. And I built these rocks, and I would sit there, and I would talk to God the Father because I felt like he was the only one I could talk to. And I was like, Jesus, keep me safe. Don't let him hurt us. Don't let him, don't let him hurt me. Jesus, please, please keep us safe. And there were so many times he did. Sometimes, I mean, when he when hut us down with his BB gun, I didn't get away from him all the time. I have scars to remember that. But there were times that I would call on the name of the Lord, and I would feel his presence, and I would hear his presence. I would go into my room because we weren't allowed to dance at our church because dad being pastor. And I would go into my room, and I would just move, and I would put on worship music, and I could feel him. I, can't under, I couldn't understand it, but I would feel his presence. And God was setting me up. He was setting me up for what he had for me. And so when um, I met my husband, I was 16 years old. David was 17. I, had a, I didn't have a great trust in men. And I was like, well, if he flirts with that other girl, I don't have anything to do with him. I, I had a trust issue. I'm like, no, I'm not going to have anything to do with him. I don't know why anybody would even like me. I'm not smart. I'm not very pretty. But I, yeah, I didn't like myself, so how could somebody else like me? And through the years, so we dated off or we courted off and on for seven years. Through the years, God gave me my very best friend on earth in David. He helped me to learn to trust this man. And I think David was the most purest-hearted person I've ever met, generous heart. He had a happy heart. He was joyful. His, his um, sense of humor was a little off, 
He always wanted to be a pastor, and his dad was also a pastor. But he's like, Joy, I couldn't be a pastor because I'm, I'm pretty like, get over yourself, grow up, and act right. You know, that was kind of how David was. He said that wouldn't have gone over really well in the pastor area. But he had, he had a pure heart, and God brought me this amazing man. And I was so thankful. Um, and I, I was telling the kids, when I was 10, I really felt like God saying, Joy, I want you to go in the mission field. I want you to minister to children. So I was like, okay, I'm going to prepare myself. I went to nursing school. I went to Bible school. And during this time, Mr. David would ask me to marry. When I was 18, he says, okay. He asked my dad if he could marry me, and I told my dad, no. I can't because I'm going to the mission field. I already told God I was going to. I love you, but I, I can't. Then he asked again. <laughs> I was going to Bible school. No, I can't marry you. Three times. But he was persistent. Guys, be persistent. <laughs> and finally, the third time, I had finished um, the missionary course at Bible school, and I was, God says, Joy, this man will love you like you've never been loved before. And I knew immediately. So we got married, and within four months, I had um, got pregnant with my oldest son, um, Jonathan, had Desiree. Then we had a long stint of eight years where I couldn't get pregnant, and then I had my last two. But during that time, God started training me. He says, because uh, I was like, what happened to the mission field? What happened to that? And God says, their mission field is right here. So I was working with churches and children in, in Texas, and we moved to Maryland. I was in Maryland. We were working with kids. And um, I think I was 30 years old, and we were at a conference and I was going through a really rough time with the Lord. I've known the Lord a long time. But we always, he always takes us into those deserts. Don't like the deserts. They're good. When you come out the other end, you're like, thank you. But they're hard when you don't. And I'm in this desert place, and I'm struggling with the Lord. I'm struggling with some things that are going on I don't understand. And a lot of it had to do with stuff that's going on in the church. I've seen a lot of stuff in the church. And I've always told my kids, do not put anybody on a pedestal, guys, because they put on their pants the same way you do in the morning. They, they're human. They're going to fall. The only person that belongs on that pedestal is the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when you put people on a pedestal and they mess up, not that they mean to, we all mess up, then we lose our faith because we put our faith in men and not in God. And there was some stuff going on in the church that really was hard. I've seen people, they closed the doors and locked the doors on my dad because he was ministering to people that were coming out of drugs and alcohol, and they said, we don't want those people in our church. That's not the kind of people we want in our church. So we show up one Sunday, and all the doors on the church, locks were changed. And my, I'm like, um, Jesus goes sits with the sinners I, I don't get this. I don't understand this. I don't understand. How, how could you say that? I don't, it, you know, and I'm just like, God, I, this, is, this is our family. We love these people. I don't, I don't get it. And I was just like, God, I, I just don't understand this. And literally, I, at that point, I was, I was just struggling with a lot of things that I, God was working through it, through me with it, forgiving my brother, because I knew I had to forgive him. But even in the, in the midst of, 
I'm choosing to forgive him and struggling with that. Sometimes it doesn't come immediately. Sometimes it's a progress, and God gets us to that place where we can forgive, and there's no more hurt there, and be able to move past that hurt. That's hard, and, it's, it's, and it takes time sometimes. But the choice is I choose God. I choose to forgive him. Now, my kids aren't going to be around him, but I choose to forgive him. And you're going to have to help me get to that place of freedom in that. Because, again, we're human, and God knows we're human. And I remember we were going to um, a church, and they were having these amazing meetings. And my husband says, I'm, we're going to go there. And I'm like, you know what? God can touch me here just like he can touch me there. I don't have to go. I don't go to all these meetings. Oh, they're having a break here. I'll let me go here. I, I, I don't, I'm not into all that. God can touch me here where I'm at. And David goes, no, Joy, I really feel like we need to go. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, okay, but I'm not leaving my kids. And David goes, I feel like you need to leave. And I only had two at the time. I'm like, I don't want to leave my children. <laughs> And God says, no, I want you, or David says, yeah, I need, we need to leave him. We'll leave him with grandma and grandpa. And this is ripping my heart out because I know what happened when I was younger. And I was like, I don't want to leave him. And David goes, is it going to be okay? And literally, I remember driving away, and I'm bawling. I'm weeping before the Lord. I don't want to leave him. I don't want to leave them. And I literally feel, and this is one of the few times I've felt the Lord his hand on my back and on my legs and David's sitting in the car and I remember turning my eyes and I'm looking at him and I knew immediately it was Jesus and he says look behind you and I look behind me and my children are on this beach where we were at was not a beach but they were on these beach Jonathan and Desiree were on this beach and there was these angels all around them and they're playing it you know, like duck, duck, goose with them. I mean, I, it looked like I was like, wow. He goes, they're going to be okay, Joy. He, and then he looks at me. He goes, I'm taking you to my father. And immediately fear hit my heart. Didn't even know it was there. And I said, no, I don't want to go to the father. He's not going to like me. He's going to reject me. I don't want to go to the father. And Jesus was like, you need to know my father, Joy. Because I was okay with Jesus. I'm okay with Holy Spirit. But the Father scared me. Because he's not going to like me. He's going to reject me. I'm not good enough. And I had no idea that was even in my heart. I'm 30 years old. I've known Jesus for a long time. He goes, you need to know my Father. And so we were at this meeting. I had been fasting for almost 21 days, so I hadn't eaten a lot. We're standing outside, and this is kind of funny because God has a sense of humor, just so you know. And I'm standing outside. It's hot. We're waiting to go inside. I'm standing by my husband, and literally my legs start to shake, and they're vibrating. And I'm like, okay, because I'm a nurse, so my mind starts thinking I'm having a stroke. I need, I'm dehydrating. I'm about to, I'm going to have a stroke. I'm, or my heart's going to go. I, you know, and my brain is like this. And I'm like, what is going on? This is crazy. God, what is going on? And um, David starts laughing. And I'm like, this is not funny. I could have a stroke right out here. He goes, Joy, you're so funny. And I, I mean, it's just my brain. Goes away. He goes, it's fine. You're going to be fine. I'm like, well, if I drop dead, you're going to carry me, right? He's like, Joy. <laughs> 
And I'm usually not like that, but I was then. I was like off. And so we get inside finally, and I'm like, good, I can sit down. So I'm sitting there. Oh, I can't sit down. Sorry. So I'm sitting there, and I'm, and I'm sitting in... And my legs feel like they're going to fly up over my head. And I'm like, and I've seen weird stuff in the church. I'm, I'm just being really honest here. I'm like, okay, God, I don't want to do anything weird, okay? I, I'm, I'm not into that. You, you speak to me. We're good. Mm-hmm. We're good. And I'm sitting there, and I literally feel like my, heads, my feet are going to flip over my head. I put them underneath the pew in front of me. So I'm like, they're not going to go anywhere. They're not going to go anywhere. I'm sitting there. And then they start to worship. Everybody stands up. So I stand up. Okay, good. I can stand up. I can stand up. All of a sudden, I see a throne room, a throne. I've never been in this church before. I'm up on the balcony. I see a throne. And I see God the Father sitting on that throne. And everything inside of me wanted to be right where he was. And I don't know how I got there, David told me later. But I was right before the throne I never took dance before. I'm not, I'm not skilled in that area. I was, never took dance before. And for two and a half hours in a church I've never been, I was up front dancing before the Lord. And at the end, I was before him. And he looked at me. He said, Joy, I've created you to dance. I've created you to move. And this was God the Father. He says, this is my gift to you. Because when you dance and when you move, You're going to break fear off. You're going to bring depression off, not only of yourself, but on others. He says, I'm going to train you two things you never perform. I never perform. And that you you will concentrate this dance unto me. And when I get up, everybody in the church is sitting down. And I'm right up front, a church I've never been. And David said that, he said, Joy, it was just like you went down and you floated all the way down and you danced. I could feel it the next day, by the way. My muscles were very sore. But God gave me this gift of worship. And he said, Joy, I'm going to gift you with this because I've called you to do that. This is going to how you're going to worship me. And you're going to, people are going to be set free. People are going to be set free. I'm 30 years old. I'm like, I've had no previous training in dance. But when God shows me pictures with moves, I, I know, I know, I know it's from him. I know it's from him. So I get ready to have my last son, my daughter. I had, an, I had a daughter, um, my third daughter, after eight years of not having children. And I get pregnant with her, and I had toxemia with her. And I was, I was very swollen, very sick. She comes eight weeks early um, because I had placenta previa, so they went ahead and induced labor. My other two kids were natural births, no medication. So this was a new, new, new thing for me. Like I'm like, I'm telling you these stories to progress to something. And I'm, I'm in the hospital. It is over, it's her birthday, September 1st. It's over uh, Memorial Weekend. It's coming up. And I deliver Berea. And she's having trouble breathing. So they immediately take her to the NIC unit. And now this never happens. If you ever work in a hospital, this is like uncalled, this is like unheard of. And we are, because I had to go into an emergency, I'm in Manassas, Virginia. I live in Maryland. So we're about an hour and a half from my home. And so Bria is in the hospital. 
um, her name, first of all, was Joshua. I thought she was a boy. We didn't know she was a girl until she was, we were eight months pregnant. They did a sonogram, and they go, this is a girl. I'm like, wow, a girl? But she has a Joshua anointing. And then God gave us the name Berea. And so here we are, and she's taken to the NIC unit. My older two are with me. My husband has to go to work. So I'm like, I, I'm like, I keep on saying, God, I, I don't want to leave her. And we were doing all I was doing. I was going to the NIC unit, doing all of her care. She had tubes coming out of her. She couldn't breathe on her own. Um, it was pretty intense. And I'm going in there, and I'm praying over her, and I'm, I'm asking God to protect her. I'm doing her feeding. They let me do her feedings. Um, they let Jonathan and, and Desiree come in. And I remember one time this nurse came in, and she was she shouldn't have been at work that day. And there were kids, I mean, Bria was only, she, she went down to three pounds. She was four when she was born, but she went down to three pounds. But there were ones that were only two pounds in there. And I was like, oh, and this nurse is being rough. She's saying horrible things, cussing. And I'm like, God, I do not want that nurse to touch my daughter. Matter of fact, she shouldn't touch any of these babies. I do not want her touching my daughter. That's not okay that she is acting like this. This is not okay, Jesus. I don't want her around my daughter. Because I was pretty fierce. I was emotional if you've ever had children. Afterwards, you're very emotional. And I was like, no, 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 no. And I was like praying hard. And within an hour, one of the head nurses came up to me because they see me there all the time. And they said, um, could you just stay, Miss um, Story, could you just stay for a little bit? Because the nurse that was taking care got violently sick and had to go home. So my husband goes, yeah, just remind me to never make you mad. <laughs> but, I mean, God was, these were things that God was showing me. I'm like, yes, okay, good, they're gone. <laughs> and so it, it got time. So we were able to stay because we lived so far away. I was having a hard time leaving Berea. But because the rehab was shut down for the weekend, they let us stay for three days in a rehab room with Jonathan and Desiree, and I could do all the care for Berea. That's unheard of. That's, yeah. But they, I was like, oh, I, I want to take care of her. I don't want to leave her. I'll be an hour and a half away. After that incident, I don't want her touching my daughter. And so they let me stay because it, there was, they didn't have anybody over the weekend. But it was coming time for me to leave, and I was going to have to leave Berea. And I had done most of her care, and we're getting ready to leave. And I was, I was having, that night, I was like, God, I just don't want to leave her. And he goes, do you trust me with her? And I had to be honest with him. I don't know. I don't know. Now, that sounds terrible, but again, God is going down, reaching down, pulling out weaknesses in my heart. And I'm like, I know this sounds really bad, God, but I don't know. I just, he goes, will you trust me with her? There's those two different, way, different questions. Do you? I don't know. Will you? And I struggled, and in the morning, I was like, okay. Okay. I'm, I'm going to trust that you're going to take care of her. We have to pack up. We're leaving. We get ready. We go down to tell her bye. They had taken off most of her oxygen. She was breathing on her own really well. She, she was doing well. She just hadn't gained the weight back that she needed to gain back. And the doctor met me and the pediatrician met me and they said, you know what? You've been doing all of her care. We decided that we're just going to let you go ahead and take her home. 
but I had to give her away to get her back. I had to give, it, give her before the Lord, and then God gave me back, and I'm like, God, you're so awesome. You're so awesome. And I can go on with stories. When I got pregnant with my youngest son, I was on bed rest for 10 weeks, and I was taking medication in my thigh to stop contractions, and every time I'd get up and move, I would start having contractions, and they would have to take me into the hospital. They had to do what they call sulfate, or, uh, sulfate wash to get the medicine out of me and then restart it up again. So my body was going through crazy stuff. And um, I remember the morning, he was, it was four weeks before his due date, and God wakes me up and he says, I want you to go downstairs and I want you to dance to this song. In your presence, that's where I belong. In your presence, that's where I will stay under the cleft of your rock. And I'm like, you do know that if I go down and I dance, that I'm going to go into having contractions again. You do know that. It's like, I want you to go down, and I want you to worship right now. And I'm like, okay, if I do that, you're going to have to make sure you take care of Dave. Dave's going to get really upset with me. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm processing this with the Lord. I'm really real with him. And so I was like, but I really felt it at my heart. So I'm downstairs as well as I can, being pregnant, worshiping the Lord with dance, and I'm just praising him, worshiping him. David comes down, what are you doing? I'm like, God told me to do this. Talk to him. <laughs> and I'm worshiping the Lord. David's used to me. And so he's like, okay. And so sure enough, I go into labor, and um, they said, we're just going to go ahead and induce labor. Let, let this little one come. Now, when I was pregnant with John Parisum, David and I were in a prayer meeting. He was on one side of the room. I was on the other. And I, we're praying, and God gave this name to me. Out of 2 Samuel 5.17, Bell Parisum, God of the Breakthrough. And he says, this baby's going to be named Parisum, which for any of y'all, that's, that, yeah, I've never met another Parisum, but he definitely is a Parisum. The other side of the prayer room, God was telling David the exact same thing. Because that was a hard, Bria was hard for my parents, but Parisum was really hard for my parents. So the next morning we're walking, this is before I was on bed rest, we're walking and I'm like, um, hey David, I think, I think I know the name of the baby. And he goes, you know what, I do too. I'm like, well, you go first. He was like, no, you do. And I was like, Parisum? He goes, Yes. So I knew this baby was called Parism, God of the Breakthrough. And so I'm in labor. Things are going well. It's only David, me, uh, David, myself, and our three kids. And it's getting to be 11.30, 11.45 at night. He goes, I'm going to go get the kids something to eat. We'll be right back. They're giving me stuff to Pitocin to have the contractions. I've had an epidural. I mean, it's you know, it's, it's not the way I wanted it, but it's the way it works. And I love that we have medicine that can help us with the stuff like that. And I'm laying there, and the nurse had wanted to do a, um, the doctor had wanted to take off the, the heart monitor off the outside of my stomach. And then, but the nurse kept insisting, so they put one on, on Pearson's forehead. And she's standing there, her back is towards me, and it, within... A few minutes, I literally feel my entire being just start to shut down. I can't explain it other than I, I couldn't even, I was having trouble breathing. 
I was having trouble getting my breath. I could not even call out to the nurse who was in the room that something was going on. I'm like, I can't. I, you know, I, and I think my body was just too much medication in me. And I couldn't, I couldn't call out. But yet, because my heart rate was stopping, pairs them started beep, beep. So the nurse whips around, and she looks at me, and she's, she knows I'm in distress. So they get pull the plug, call the team. They're rushing me away. They're, they start to cut my, so they can get the baby out. I'm not, I, we got little guys in here. So they start doing a cesarean, let's just put it that way. As we're going down, and I literally hear the doctor, and I think she doesn't know that I was conscious, but she says, we've got to get this baby out. I don't think the mother's going to make it. And they're rushing me, and my husband comes rushing back, and he says, I don't remember this, but he said he looked at me as they're trying to, you know, get the baby out really fast, and I'm convulsing on the table, but I look at him, and I say, pray. And then they put me out. So I was totally out. I don't remember any of that. They bring um, pairs into David, and he goes, you know, here's your son. He's healthy. He's strong. And he goes, how's my wife? And they wouldn't answer him. And if you know David, this is so out of character. He grabs this doctor's coat and says, how is my wife? And they said, we can't stabilize her. We're having a hard time stabilizing her. Well, obviously, God brought me through that. I'm here today. Pearson's here today. But if you remember... What did he have me do in the morning? He had me get up and I was interceding and in worship and dance because there was nobody there at that moment to be praying for me and my son. His name is Parism, God of the Breakthrough, and he broke through. Again, God was preparing me, teaching me to trust him. Fast forward, 2007, God called us to go on the mission field. We were so excited. This, I've been waiting for this for, since I was 10. I knew I was supposed to go overseas. And we worked at uh, the International House of Prayer, and we worked in the international department. So all Asians, a lot of Asians, Chinese, all the, when they come through, we worked with them, and we would prepare food for them. And I'm like, if this is as close as I get to the mission field, then this is awesome, God. But then they were t- asking us, there's an orphanage in India, Chennai, India, and we want to know if you would come and you would teach them the word. You would teach them, you know, how to worship and dance, how to, how to worship. And, and so I was like, yes, yes, we'll go. And I really felt like the Lord saying, it's time to go. This is, your, this is your time. David and I prayed about it. We felt, yes, we're going. We literally sold everything. We got rid of everything. And we were going to the mission field a couple of months before we left, my husband, um, he, would, he, he worked so that I could be in the house of prayer and I could do ministry. So David, um, he, he was at work and he would work evenings and sometimes he'd have to stay out of town and he was in a hotel room and he, he came home the next day and he was like, I was in the hotel room late at night and he said, Joy, God came to me and he says, David, Will you go to the mission field if I choose to take your wife or one of your children? If I choose to take one of them, would you still go for me? And it was a very Abraham and Isaac moment for David. And David said he just, he was weeping. He goes, what? What, God? He goes, would you still go? 
if I choose to take your family. And David loved his family. His family were, it was Jesus and his family. He loved his kids. He loved me, and he loved me well. And he said, I struggled. I struggled with that. I struggled all night. And I was going, God, what? What are you saying? Would I go and you take? That's not, that wasn't in the conversation. That wasn't in this decision. And he says, David, would you still go? And he said he was just wrestling with the Lord. And the Lord likes to wrestle with us. Did you know that? He always wins. But he likes to wrestle with us. And he said as the light was coming in, shining in the window, it was like all of a sudden just this break happened. And he says, yes, God, I will go even if you choose to take my wife or one of my children. And he came back, and I was like, well, God isn't telling me that. He did not ask me that. He did not ask me that. He knew, he knew I wasn't. I'm like, no, he's giving me Psalms 91. He's going to be a shield around me. He's going to be my protector. He's going to, you know. And I said, God's just preparing your heart, David, because there's a lot of tragedy there. So he's preparing your heart. And then God gave him this vision of the cross from Kansas City to Chennai, India. Then it went from Israel all the way over to Taiwan. It was like this thing of a cross. Come to find out, the disciple, Thomas, doubting Thomas, he was martyred in Chennai, India. He was killed in Chennai, India. And when we were studying that, I was like, whoa, that's, that's, we're going right there. That's so powerful. So we go to Taiwan we go to India, and we're there. We're teaching children that have been left on trash heaps. They're literally girls who have literally the umbilical cord is still attached to them. They're un they call them trash over there. They do call the kids trash, which is terrible. But we call them royal kids. We call them royal kids. We're teaching them the gospel. We're, we're teaching them how to pray the word, how to dance the word. They've never had that before. They pray intensely, but they didn't have a lot of knowledge of the word. And um, one boy is following my kids, or especially Jonathan, my oldest, and I were doing a lot of the teaching, and he would follow us around. And one Saturday, we, we're in this, and all of a sudden this pastor shows up, which is the son's father, and he goes, I need to talk to you. And he's talking to my husband. He goes, I need to talk to you. He goes, I need you to sit down and talk. So they go outside, and for three hours they're out there, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on out there. So David told me later, he comes to me, and he takes his Bible. He said, Joy, he took his Bible, he put it down. He goes, what are you teaching my son? I need to know what's going on. And David's like, um, okay. And he says, he's walking around the house. He's singing, he's dancing, and he's singing Bible verses, and, and I don't know, like, is this, is this some kind of thing you put on him? I mean, this is a pastor. I was like, whoa, okay. And so um, he was like, show me. I want to see how you, what you mean by singing the word and praying the word. Because something's going on with my son. He's very different. He's not the same. And I want to know what's going on. So David is literally just going through scripture. Why do we pray the word? Why do we sing the word? Why? This is a pastor, too, of a very large church in, China, in India. And I'm like, whoa, okay. And so as, as we're, he's getting done, the, the pastor goes, okay, fine. Matthew 1, how would you pray that? For y'all that don't know Matthew 1, it's the genealogy all through scripture leading up to Jesus coming back, Okay. 
or to Jesus' first birth, you know, all that genealogy. How would you pray that? How would you sing that? And he was throwing it out as a challenge. David looks at that and he says, I would pray, God, just like all these names are lining up and all these names are recorded for your first coming, God, let my children and their names be written in the book of life that ushers in your second coming, which was a total revelation of the Lord, which is a prayer from Matthew 1. That night we go home, and David gets, we're getting ready to go up to the leopard colony on Sunday morning, and we get on the bus. My son, Jonathan's sick, so he's, he's having bathroom issues, let's just put it that way. And so he's not going to go with us, but my da- David and I get on, on the bus. We're heading out, and my, son, my husband has a seizure, a mild seizure. Now, my husband was super healthy. He's, he's like the epitome of healthy. He's really, he was strong. We had all of our shots. We're taking malaria pills. I mean, and he has the seizure on the bus. So we get him off. I'm like, well, we're just going to stay here. He felt better. He's like, I'm feeling really good. I'm good. So we, um, we stay in, in Monday morning and Tuesday, or uh, it's called a Hindu holiday, so all the schools were closed. So it was a good time for us to be teaching the children because all the children have to stay in one place. So they drive us in. We can't even drive by ourselves. So they drive us in, and David wasn't feeling really well. Um, they took him to a, um, a hospital and got some medicine for him in a little baggie with pills, which... Really, it was like, I'm like, well, what are they? I don't know. They're supposed to just take them. I'm like, well, they're just in a baggie, honey. Why are you going to take pills in a baggie? Because they just told me to take them. So I'm giving him bread. I, th- I thought he might have just had a little bit of malaria, like my older son. And so I'm, you know, I'm giving him bread, just eat bread, solids, you know. And so we go in on Monday. We come back. Tuesday, Dave is feeling really sick. So I was like, okay, we're not... We're just going to stay here. And he goes, Joy, you need to go. This is what you're called to do. Joy, this is your calling. And so my, me and my older son, I'm like, I don't want to leave. Me and my older son go, and we're there. And at about noon, I get a call from my daughter. Mommy, Daddy is not doing good. You need to come home. And so I'm like, I need, I need to go home. I need one of y'all to drive me. And it took them over an hour to get me back to where David was I get there, and he doesn't look very good. And I'm like, we need to go to the hospital. So I get in the car. We're driving to the hospital, and he has a very, very severe seizure. And we get to the hospital, the closest one there. We take him in, and they won't let me go back because I'm a female. And I'm standing out there. I get the yuckiest feeling. I'm like, God, I hate this place. This is not, you know, I, I don't feel good about this place. I don't feel good about this place. And finally, I just take off my shoes, and I just walk back. And they're screaming at me. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. I'm American. I don't understand you. I'm just walking. You can get away with that a lot over in Asia. So I just walk in, and I'm sitting with him. I said, David, I don't feel, I don't feel good about this place. I, I want to leave. And he's like, no, Joy, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. He's up. He's talking. He's doing better. So they said, we're going to keep him overnight. So we... We go, I go back because I have all four of my kids waiting at, at the place where we're staying. And the Lord says on the way, I want you to take the kids to see their dad. So I'm like, okay. So I, I asked my driver to wait. And I said, could you just wait? He takes us back. And he's like, they're not going to let you in. I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. 
So I told the kids, I said, they're going to yell at you. Just take off your shoes because you have to always take off your shoes. I said, just take off your shoes and just walk by. And they're yelling at you. Just kind of smile and go like that, okay? So they did that. We just walked on time. Yeah, okay, yeah, good. You know, and just kept on walking. David's sitting up. He's laughing. He's joking. Um, and he's, like, telling jokes with the kids. And he's, he's giving me high fives. We give him a hug. We tell him good night. The doctor comes in. She said he's going to be fine. Everything's going to be good, um, and he'll be going home in the morning. I get back to the place where we're staying. I get a call again from the doctor. She said his, his vitals are really good. He's, he's looking really well, and he'll be coming home in the morning. And I was like, okay. And so that night we're up. My, again, my son wasn't feeling good. So he, at 4 o'clock in the morning, he's stand, we're all in one room. He's standing by the bathroom. I'm standing right outside the door, and he's in there throwing up and stuff, and I'm like, do you need me to come in? No, no, don't come in. He just turned 18, so yeah. And my older daughter just turned 16. It was about a week after she turned 16, and I'm standing outside the door, and it's 445, and all of a sudden, I felt like something just punched me in the stomach, and I couldn't breathe. Like, I was, like, when you get out of breath, you have the, your air knocked out of you, and I just felt like I couldn't breathe, and I'm like, hey, Jonathan, I have to lay down. So I'm laying there, and I look at the clock. It's 4.45. And I'm like, I can't breathe. Something's, I just feel really tired. And I'm sitting there. I'm trying to catch my breath. Jonathan comes in. He lays back down. 6 o'clock in the morning, I get a knock on the door. And I'm like, okay, we're, we got to get up. we got to get up and get dressed. And um, I saw my pajamas, and I said, Jonathan, go answer the door. So Jonathan runs out. I go to the bathroom, changing clothes, and I hear a scream. And I go outside, and my son is on his knees on the porch, and these people from the orphanage are standing there, and he's screaming. And I'm like, what is going on? And they said, your husband has died. And I'm like, what? So your husband has died. David's gone. And I grabbed my four kids, and I said, we're going to the hospital. We're going to the hospital. And we get in the car, and we're driving to the hospital, and the immediate thing the Lord says to me, and I look at my kids and I said, guys, daddy's gone to be with Jesus. And immediately the Holy Spirit says, Joy, I want you to sing. And I said, God, I can't sing. I just lost my dearest friend. I'm not going to sing. He goes, Joy, you must sing right now. And this song, it says, my hope is in you. My life is in you. My strength, it's in you, Lord. I haven't seen that. I hadn't, I hadn't seen it since I was a little kid. And I looked at my four kids, and we're going to say, we're going to sing. We're going to worship God right now. And we start singing this song. And it, it's pitiful. I mean, we're crying, we're weeping, and we're worshiping Jesus in the midst of that, only by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, Joy, keep on singing that. Keep your eyes on me. Joy, keep your eyes. He, it was literally, I could feel him going like this and saying, look, right here, Joy, keep this focus right here. We get to the hospital, and there was some stuff that happened, and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on what happened to David that night. But I'm sitting in the, the cafeteria, and I'll just put it to you this way. I'm sitting in the cafeteria. We have to call the embassy. And I'm waiting for them to call the American Embassy. And my six-year-old son, because it was Bria and Pearson were six and seven, he looks at me and he says, Mommy, 
Why did they poison and kill my daddy? He has no clue what's going on. He had no clue. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail. We get back to the hotel or to the place where we're staying. And I'm saying, God, I need something from you. I need something right now from you. I had nothing. I had no money. I had no hope of getting home. I didn't even have a home here. I didn't even know where if I was supposed to go back to Kansas City. My parents who lived in Maryland, David's parents who lived in, I didn't know anything. I had no way of getting back home. I said, God, I need something right now. And he takes me to the shortest scripture in the Bible. Does anybody know what that is? Say it really loud. Jesus wept. When Jesus wept with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, Jesus already knew he was going to raise Lazarus. Why did he weep? Because he was feeling the pain of Martha. He was was connecting with Martha and Mary's pain. Jesus wept. And at that moment, I know that God was weeping with me because he was thinking, I'm right here, Joy. I'm right here. I'm right here. I, they told us it would take two weeks to leave India. The next day, we were on a flight home for India. As I'm waiting, I'm like, God, I don't know where to go. And he goes, go home. I'm like, I don't know where home is, God. I have nothing. I have no house. I probably had $200 in my bank account. I had nothing. No car, no furniture. I didn't have anything. The clothes that we had were the clothes on our backs, and we weren't going to even take them. I didn't have time to pack. I was just like, we're just going to take what we have, and we're going to go, because we had to get on that flight. And so I, I was like, I don't know where to go. He said, where, where do you belong? Where, do you, where have I told you to go? He, the last time he told us to go somewhere, it was Kansas City. I, my parents were there. None of my family were there. My spiritual family were there. I have a dear friend. Her name is Linda Hackett. She is one of my dearest friends. And she, I was on the phone with her, and I was like, Linda, we're coming. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what we're going to stay, but we're coming home. She's like, Joy, come home. Joy, just come home. And um, so we were on our trip on the way home with my kids. They're devastated. And we're flying over um, Thailand, going to Taiwan for our first stop, and then we're going home. And the prayer that rose up with me is, God, don't let my kids be offended. Because here we are, we're doing your work. We're doing what you've called us to, and you've chosen to take their dad. Do not let my children be offended at you, God. Be sincere and without offense, God. Keep their hearts from being offended. Keep their hearts, promise me. And then he took me to another scripture, Psalms 68. And it says, let God arise, let his enemies be be scattered. Let those who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before fire, let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be God. Let them rejoice before God. Yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Exalt him who rides upon the heavens by the cloud, 
by his name, Yah, and rejoice before him. Because he's a father to the fatherless. He's a defender of the widow. This is who God is on his holy habitation. And God has set oneness or solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. In other words, where there's a lack, God steps in. Whether it's a father to the fatherless, whether it's a husband to the widow, that's who my God is on his holy habitation. So we get home. A month before, there was this house, and this lady, she actually was a widow. She had come to IHOP, and she had to go back with her four sons. She had redone this house, and she left it furnished, and she had told a friend of ours, she said, you'll know who needs it when they need it. I got there. It was totally furnished. God had already prepared something for me. He had already prepared a house for me. He had already set in motion a month before he knew this was going to happen. He had already set us a house that was fully furnished because we had no furniture. People were bringing us clothes. Some of them didn't fit. Some of them were a little odd. But we still had clothes. People were giving us clothes. And then that was 13 and a half years ago. And God has called me to do ministry, which is insane for a woman with four children having to raise and having to, to provide for. But God says, I've called you for this joy. Do you not think that I will provide? I'm a missionary, so I have to rely on the Lord. But I'm going to tell you, every single time, it came time where I'm like, God, I don't have the money for rent. I don't know how I'm going to pay rent. And I, me and my children, and I invite my children, and I'm going to tell you that you need to invite your children to the things of God. We need to pray because I don't know how I'm going to cover rent this month, Jesus. Kids, we need to pray because when God shows up, it becomes now their testimony. God has provided rent for 13 and a half years. Even through last year when I couldn't do our kids' camps, God provided rent every single month. I have to live by faith every single month. And God has been faithful. And not only that, he gave me a ministry so I don't have to leave my children. If I worked as a nurse, I would have to leave my children at home. He says, Joy, I've called you into ministry. And you know who my team, this is the first time I've ever been away from home without my ministry team, which is are my children. Until my older ones got married, now it's my two younger ones. They couldn't come because both of them are in college. It's a new season. <laughs> I'm like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> But he sent me the Bree Loves, which is second best. I'm so thankful for them. God knew. I was like, oh, because they're my ministry team. I got to do ministry with my children. Bria leads worship. Parism does a bunch of games, which some of y'all already know Parism. He's so fun. Kids love him because he's, he gets to do the fun stuff. But he even provided me a way to raise my children and do ministry because he knows how important my children are to me. So when I stand before you, I stand before you with a testimony of the goodness of God. And my friend Linda and I, we used to go for walks, and my favorite verse is Revelations 12, 11. It's also my birthday, 12, 11. And it says, you overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of your testimony, and not loving your life even unto death. And Linda and I were walking 
And as we're talking, because we used to walk and talk about scriptures, and I said, Linda, that, that isn't necessarily a martyr's death, even though my husband was a martyr. And in a sense, I'm a martyr because I've given something up. One of my most precious gifts, which was my husband, I've given him up to serve the Lord. But he said, Joy, sometimes you have to die to your flesh daily, daily. It's no longer I that lives, that Christ that lives in me. And the life I live by faith and the love of God, I live this life before God. Sometimes we have to die to ourselves daily, and that's how we overcome. That's how we overcome. Let's just stand up. And I want to do one thing before we leave. I would like all the children to come up front. We're going to close this, this weekend off. I want you to sit on the floor. Kind of sit really close together if we could. And I'd like all the fathers and the grandfathers, if you could, only the fathers and the grandfathers, if you could come up here. And I want you to play a blessing. In the Old Testament, it wasn't the moms. It was the fathers that left the blessing We need the blessing of the fathers because God says in the last days, I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. Least I strike the earth with a curse. We're not going to have that curse. God is turning hearts of fathers to children and children to fathers. And I'm going to ask um, if it's okay, Mr. Jackson, would you come up here? He's a grandpa. And I'm going to just lead you. And if you, if you, if you could just stretch out your hands over these children. We need the blessings of the Father. We need you we need y'all to rise up and to cover children. They might not be your own. God is bringing us some fatherless kids. He's bringing kids that are broken and hurting, and we need the fathers to take their place on the wall and not get off that wall. Stand at the gate and proclaim the glory of God. So I'm just going to ask Mr. Jackson if he could pray over these kids.